This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Colosseum is an ancient amphitheatre found in central Rome, which is, of course, the capital city of modern-day Italy, and it dates all the way back to the days of the Roman Empire in the first century CE. As it's one of the most famous monuments that we're going to talk about as part of this entire series, I have no doubt whatsoever that you're familiar with the Colosseum. Um, In fact, it's so well known uh, that I would say it's not just an icon for ancient Rome, but modern Rome and modern Italy today. It is really the most famous monument from the classical era. I, I, I don't think that's too big a call to make. And um, for something that is approaching its, uh, its 2000th anniversary, it, of course, has a very long and a very interesting history. Across the millennia, it has seen empires rise and fall. It's seen kingdoms come and go. And it, it, it has gone from being filled with blood-soaked sand to being filled with tourists. Um, and also, it was filled with water, at one point, as we'll, we'll talk about, that was, a, that was a wild chapter in the Colosseum's history, let me tell you. Anyway, construction began on the Colosseum in around 70 or 72 CE. Uh, so we're approaching, a thousand, approaching 2,000 years here, of course. Uh, but the story goes back a few years before that to the Great Fire of Rome in 64 CE. The Great Fire devastated the city. I mean, of course it did. It was called the Great Fire, not, not, the, not the mediocre fire. Um, and it destroyed a huge amount of Rome, including some very high-density neighbourhoods, um, and the emperor at the time, Nero, right, who famously didn't fiddle while Rome burnt, episode 130, get across it, he seized vast sections of, uh, of these, uh, these high-density neighbourhoods that had been destroyed and he repurposed them as part of his imperial complex, the Domus Aurea. He built palaces and gardens and pavilions and even an artificial lake. He transformed this central area of Rome, which, as I say, had, had previously been full of, uh, of people living in these tightly packed neighbourhoods. He transformed it into this uh, into this personal paradise, um, and he also, as part of this, part of, as part of the Domus Aurea, he built a huge thirty meter high statue of himself, the Colossus of Nero. Uh, and the reason I bring this uh, this Colossus up is, uh, while it didn't stick around as long as the Colosseum, it did give the Colosseum its name. Because this Colossus of Nero uh, was moved out the front of the Colosseum uh, after it was constructed. And uh, as a result, the name stuck. It was, it, it's been known as the Colosseum more or less ever since. Although in some circles still, you know, people refer to it as the Flavian Amphitheatre as well, as we'll come to in a minute. Anyway, 
After Nero died in 68 CE, the Domus Aurea was mostly torn down by Emperor Vespasian, the, uh, the last man standing after the year of the four emperors, who was making a concerted effort to win favour with the common people by returning to them the land seized for this imperial complex that Nero had built. And what better way to win public support than with the construction of a huge amphitheatre to host games and spectacles and other entertainment, especially an amphitheatre built in the very heart of the city. Apparently this wasn't the usual place for a Roman amphitheatre. Usually they were built on the city's outskirts and were often built into the sides of hills. But Vespasian, he ordered the construction of the Flavian Amphitheatre, as the Colosseum is sometimes known, as I say, uh, named after the dynasty he founded, the Flavian dynasty. He ordered the construction of this amphitheatre right in the middle of the city uh, on this land that had once been part of the Domus Aurea and before that had been this uh, this high-density high residential sector. And it was a massive undertaking to build this monument. Um, it took a decade or more to complete. There were highly skilled engineers and builders who were brought into work on designs. Artists and sculptors worked on, on decorations. Uh, a vast amount of, of unskilled labour was uh, was brought in to, uh, to build the amphitheatre bit by bit. It's very likely that the project was funded by the recent Roman victory in the Jewish-Roman War in, in 70 CE, and, uh, and more specifically, the plunder that the Romans had taken from the, from the second temple, Herod's Temple, which we, uh, we talked about last week in Monuments Episode 8, Get Across It. But the Colosseum was absolutely huge for its time. Still is, honestly, still is. It was the largest amphitheatre of the classical era, and it remains the largest freestanding amphitheatre in the world, even today, believe it or not. Um, it was, and again, still is, uh, 48 metres tall at its highest point. And uh, while photos that you may have seen of the Colosseum uh, might make you think that it's circular, it's not. It's not circular. It's actually elliptical. It's an oval. It's 189 metres long and 156 metres wide. If you have a look at aerial photos, you'll see just how ovular it is. Um, and these aerial photos will also show you how much of its interior was actually taken up with seating because the actual arena itself inside the Colosseum is only 87 metres by 55 metres. So you've got 50 metres of seating on either side of the uh, of the arena. Um, most of the inside of the Colosseum is given over to these seating areas, which we'll, uh, we'll come back to in a minute. But uh, let's let, let's talk about the arena itself first, which had, you may be interested to learn, I found this absolutely fascinating. I had no idea about this, right? The arena had a wooden floor. Now, I, I know that obviously the, the arena's surface was uh, was sand, but this sand was put on top of wood. There was a wooden floor that was then covered by sand. But it gets even more interesting than this if you're uh, if you're interested in the, in the etymology of the word arena, because when we think of the word arena, you know, you might think today uh, a sporting arena, right, a, an entertainment venue, or it's even got a sort of combative association. You might talk about like uh, in, in abstract terms, a political arena or something like that. But the word arena comes from the Latin word for sand. That's all it means. Arena just means sand in Latin. And it's because sand was used as the surface for these uh, these arenas, right, in ancient Roman amphitheatres and whatever else, that's why we call any place where either uh, public spectacles take place or sporting events or entertainment, whatever, uh, or in metaphorical terms, a place where people go to do battle, that's why we call it an arena because sand was what was used on the floor of, uh, of places like the Colosseum. Anyway, under the sand, under the wooden floor, there was a network of tunnels called the Hypogeum, uh, where gladiators and animals were kept before they went up into the arena itself, as well as all of the machinery used to hoist up cages and props and whatever else. 
And uh, unbelievably, the Colosseum could also be flooded with water with the use of a connecting aqueduct. And you might be you might be wondering, for what possible purpose would they want to flood the arena? Well, I'll uh, I'll tell you in a little bit. Don't worry, we'll we'll get across that. But for now, back to the seating. Right, um, the seating of the Colosseum could hold in excess of fifty thousand spectators, an absolutely huge number, um, especially considering that Rome only had a million or so people living in it at its peak. Compare that to the largest stadiums in the world today, right? The largest stadium on earth is uh, Narendra Modi Stadium found in Ahmedabad in India. And it can seat a a very impressive 132,000 people. But that's in a city with a population of over 8 million. I mean, even something like the the mighty Melbourne Cricket Ground, the largest stadium in the Southern Hemisphere, it's got a capacity of 100,000 people, you know, twice twice what the Colosseum could hold. But that's in a city of 5 million. I do want to take this opportunity to point out the fact that the Sydney Cricket Ground, uh, by comparison, can only seat a trifling 48,000 people. Absolutely rubbish. Are they even trying? Even a 2,000-year-old stadium in Rome can seat more people. Get get that up, your Sydney. Anyway, yes, the Colosseum, it could seat um, 50,000 people, as I say, perhaps more even. Um, and this seating was distributed across stratified levels that reflected the highly stratified nature of Roman society. Certain sections of the Colosseum were reserved for certain sections of Roman society. The best areas, of course, were exclusively given over to the Roman elite, the emperors and the senators. In fact, even today, you can find the names of some senators carved into some of the seating areas, indicating that uh, these areas were, you know, especially reserved for them. But then broadly speaking, um, as we go up the uh, up the, the the seating levels higher and higher, uh, the lower the social classes become. Uh, the upper echelons of, of Roman society they sat right against the the wall overlooking the arena. Uh, other nobles were one level up from them, and then the wealthy commoners above the the nobles, and then right up the top, uh, the poor peasants up in the cheap seats, you know, hooting from the peanut gallery. And I've been saying seats this whole time, which I realise is actually a little misleading. It doesn't quite capture it because there weren't seats; they were just stone benches. You had to bring your own cushions. Uh, unless, of course, you were a member of the Roman elite, in which case you could bring your own chair. So if you had a comfortable chair that you, uh, you, know, you, you enjoyed sitting in, you could have your, uh, have your people bring it in specially into the, uh, into the Colosseum and you could plonk it down in the front row and enjoy sitting. Imagine that. Imagine being able to take your, you know, your, your favourite armchair or even a couch from your home to the MCG to watch the ashes. That'd be amazing. Anyway, flying above. The, uh, the people seated in, uh, in the stands were canvas sheets, almost like the, the sails of a ship, and interestingly um, overseen and operated by actual factual sailors. And these canvas sheets, they provided shade from the sun and shelter from the rain for the seated spectators, but they also worked to funnel any passing breezes into the Colosseum to help keep the interior as cool as possible in the hot Roman summers. These sailors would be up there in the rigging, I guess, um, operating the sails, operating these canvas sheets, um, and and having them direct as much of the wind and breeze as possible into uh, into the arena again to to keep people nice and cool. Uh, anyway, the seating stands they were very neat. They were very neatly designed. There were eighty exits in all, which allowed the Colosseum to be filled or emptied very quickly, uh, which was important in an emergency when people needed to evacuate. And these exits were known as this is not a joke. They were known as vomitoria with vomit just meaning quickly discharge in Latin. Um, And they were so named because of how quickly they enabled people to get in and out and not because, you know, 
people use them to have a cheeky spew. Although, you know, after the games, get on the wines, there were, there was probably some vomiting done in the vomitoria here and there. Anyway, these vomitoria and the stands, uh, and indeed the seats uh, that they led to, they were all numbered. Uh, if you wanted to go to the Colosseum, you'd buy a little ticket, a little shard of pottery, onto which would be stamped your section and your seat number. And so broadly speaking, it was a very similar experience um, to going to a stadium today. I don't know what ancient Roman ticket master fees were like, but... Uh, you know, you'd get your ticket, it would tell you where you were seated, you would walk through the, the entrance to the stadium up the stairs to where you were seated, you'd sit down and, and, you'd, uh, and you'd watch the entertainment unfold. Although, I will say um, that uh, the entertainment on display in the Colosseum was uh, a little different to, you know, the sort of entertainment you'd expect to be put on display these days, as we'll, uh, as we'll get to next. The construction on the Colosseum was completed in 80 CE and the venue was inaugurated in 81 with Vespasian's son Titus as emperor. Titus's successor Domitian, he expanded the Colosseum's seating, he added the underground area, the hypogeum. But that, broadly speaking, was that. The Colosseum was finished and open for business and its main business was, as I'm sure you're aware, death and combat, uh, and a lot of it. Principally gladiatorial combat. Uh, there were animal hunts as well. There was also the execution of condemned prisoners. There was a lot of blood flowing in the Colosseum in its heyday. Gladiators were trained warriors, sometimes voluntary, sometimes not. Uh, and they fought in these games held in amphitheatres like the Colosseum. They would fight each other. They would fight wild animals. And sometimes they would also, well... Mm. They wouldn't fight, really. They would more just kill uh, condemned criminals. Uh, the wild animals in question, they were usually brought in from uh, distant Roman colonies in Africa and the Middle East. Uh, elephants, tigers, crocodiles, rhinos, hippopotamuses, dangerous stuff like that. But also animals that, you know, weren't so dangerous, just ones that were brought in, I guess, for their novelty. Things like ostriches, for instance. Although, then again, now I think about it, maybe I shouldn't say that ostr- ost- ostriches aren't dangerous because, um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go up against one without a without a sword. So, no, look, you know, fair enough. I, I, I take it back. But uh, also, yes, condemned criminals were a big part of the entertainment uh, on show at the Colosseum. They featured heavily in many of the spectacles put on. They would be stripped naked. They would be thrown into the arena without any way to defend themselves from either the circling gladiators or the wild animals and therefore would be ripped to pieces, much to the delight of the audience, which is... Uh, Really something. I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, public executions have been a very popular thing all around the world for much of human history. You know, have a nice family day out at, out of the gallows. But uh, these executions uh, in the Roman Colosseum, they were, they were messy and they were brutal. People were torn to shreds by tooth and claw and sword. And then, a bit of mood whiplash here, during breaks in the main entertainment... Jugglers and acrobats and magicians would come out and perform while the arena was being, you know, cleaned up of the blood and the guts and the viscera. So you'd watch a bloke being ripped in half by a tiger and then while his various pieces are being dragged out of the arena, another bloke would come out and, I don't know, pull a rabbit from his toga. Ta-da! Anyway... Before we uh, wrap up talking about the entertainment that was put on display in the Colosseum, I do have to tell you about the water and the flooding, because I'm sure you're still wondering about that. There are accounts that are contested by some historians, I will say. There are accounts that indicate that in its early years, the Colosseum could and would be flooded with water so as to stage mock sea battles. Now, this, this remains a controversial point amongst classical historians, and honestly... 
It does sound pretty unbelievable, but apparently the Romans would flood the arena with water and float warships in there and put on these simulated naval battles. And I tell you what, that would have been something to see. That would have been something worth seeing, I reckon. Although, hang on, just let me check real quick here. Oh, um, oh no, no, okay, never mind. No, they still slaughtered condemned prisoners in these battles. Don't you worry about it. And, uh, oh, yes, look at that. The sea battles were, were apparently sometimes even bloodier than normal gladiatorial games. So, never mind. I, I think I'll just... Uh, Stick to the cricket at the MCG, I reckon. Anyway, for several centuries, these were the sorts of shows put on display at the Colosseum. Uh, The structure did uh, suffer damage at various points. It was hit by lightning in 217 and and it caught fire, which destroyed much of the, the wood of the upper levels, although it was repaired in the coming years. Eventually, however, gladiatorial games were banned uh, around the turn of the 5th century, although animal hunts continued in the Colosseum for, for another century or so. Uh, and in the mid-5th century, the Colosseum was again badly damaged, this time by an earthquake. And uh, while it was repaired once again, by this stage in its history, its, uh, its best days were by now behind it. By the end of the 6th century, the spectacles that the Colosseum had seen for hundreds of years had, uh, had fallen out of fashion. And so it began to be used for other purposes. Uh, what other purposes, you may ask? Well... Interestingly, a small chapel was built into the Colosseum and the arena began to be used as a cemetery. I guess enough people had already died there that it was, you know, already chock full of ghosts. So no no harm in chucking a few more in there. But even crazier than this was the fact that the, the wide and the spacious vomitoria that we mentioned before, these, uh, you know, the entry and exit halls, they began to be repurposed for shops and even housing. People built little structures uh, within the Colosseum's open spaces and lived there or did business there. But over the years, the Colosseum sadly began to fall into disuse and disrepair. I don't know how the people of Rome didn't treasure it as an icon from their history, but they didn't, and it suffered immensely as a result. Apparently, as Rome itself declined, the Colosseum became a hideout and a headquarters for gangs of robbers and bandits. And uh, look, you know, to be honest, it's not all that different these days, all the people that are there trying to bloody scam tourists with fake tickets. But it's a great shame to think how this once great edifice, a, a living representation of Rome's ancient culture, began to fall by the wayside of, uh, of people's care and concern. There was another earthquake that hit the Colosseum in 1349, and it was this that caused half of it to collapse altogether. Uh, After this earthquake, much of the rubble was taken away from the Colosseum and used in the construction of other buildings. And this is why today half of the amphitheatre is much higher than the other. Uh, It's why the Colosseum has that lopsided look. It's because the the side that collapsed during this uh, this earthquake was, was never fully reconstructed. Much of the interior stonework was similarly looted around this time, along with uh, the ironwork that held the stone together in many places. So the Colosseum really was not in good nick. But eventually, and thankfully, from the 18th century onwards, concerted efforts were made to both conserve and restore what was left of this building. It was reinforced, it was repaired, and it began the slow process of being restored to at least some of its former glory. But here's what's really interesting, because while today the Colosseum is more or less right in the middle of a busy, bustling European city, and while it was also more or less right in the middle of a a busy, bustling European city when it was first built, as late as 150 years ago, it just wasn't. 
There's a fascinating photograph that was taken of the Colosseum in 1870, which very clearly shows how the Colosseum is in the middle of a wide, open, undeveloped area, almost in the countryside. And when you consider that today it is essentially in the middle of Rome, it just goes to show how much the city has changed, even in the last couple of centuries. It's only been in the last century or so that central Rome has once again swallowed up the Colosseum and surrounded it with busy roads and buildings once again. And even within my lifetime, the Colosseum has changed enormously. I remember visiting it 10 years ago and being honestly pretty unimpressed at the traffic-choked streets, treating it like a roundabout, the poor condition of the millennia-old ancient buildings and ruins all around it, and the, the seeming general indifference that the Roman and Italian authorities had for this hugely iconic historical landmark. It was an enormous disappointment visiting the Colosseum in 2013. But then I visited again last year, and the roads around it have been closed to traffic. Extensive restoration work has vastly improved its condition and is still ongoing. And it and the surrounding ruins seem to be much better cared for than even a decade ago, which is excellent because the Colosseum really is an enormously important monument as perhaps the defining icon of the classical era, a historical symbol of one of the greatest empires human civilization has ever seen. Even if that empire did get a weird amount of enjoyment of watching people being torn to pieces by wild animals, I suppose. (laughs) 